Welcome to Random Trek, a podcast with your host, Scott McNulty, and I am joined by a guest, and we talk about, oddly enough, a random episode of Star Trek. My guest on this episode is Serenity Caldwell. Thank you for joining me, Ren. Thank you for having me, Scott. So, Serenity, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, well, you know my name. I, uh, I work for Macworld as an associate editor, and I also podcast with uh, with our lovely host here, Scott, on The Incomparable, uh, where I talk about various geeky movies and film and TV shows and books and things like that, and also do radio plays, which is pretty cool. And I play roller derby, and none of those things have any relation to Star Trek. <laughs> I uh, Are you a Star Trek fan? And if you are... How would you classify yourself? How, how fanish would you classify yourself? I would classify myself as the daughter of a fan, which is uh. to say that my mother was a huge, huge, huge Next Generation and Voyager fan. And in fact, I blame her for most of my science fiction geekiness growing up as a kid. So I think I have seen most, if not all, of the Next Generation and Voyager episodes growing up. I remember them being on the television I cannot tell you in specific detail what happens in any of the seasons. It's very funny to go back and watch episodes, though, and be like, oh, yeah, I really remember this. I think I was eight or nine and, and <laughs> very, very fuzzy on network television and it played on UPN and that's not a station anymore, you know. <laughs> Fair enough. And, and oddly enough, we are going to be talking about uh, an episode from one of the series you just mentioned, Voyager. Which kind of gets a bad rap with kind of uh, hardcore Star Trek fans. I think I'm not, not that I can speak for all hardcore Star, <laughs> Star Trek fans, but I think that Voyager, uh, for for some reasons we could talk about, kind of is not thought of highly. Uh, and the they episode, just don't like girls being the captain. I get it. Well, I think that <laughs> I wanted to talk about that in particular because I think that is uh, a big part of it. I know I can speak for myself when I was I was uh, much younger than I am now, obviously, when Star Trek uh, Voyager came on the screen. And I was a little hesitant uh, about Captain Janeway because, well, she was a girl, frankly. Um, <laughs> and I wasn't sure if I would like her or not. And in fact, I think Janeway uh, is probably the best part of Voyager now that I am looking at it through the gaze of several years because um, she's a good character. She's a strong female character, which is always good. And they didn't feel the need to do that with Janeway. She's just, she's smart. She's a, a I think she was a, a science officer or something like that. And she's yeah. certainly uh, well in command. She doesn't kind of, she doesn't take any guff from anybody. And she knows what she wants. She's not a mamby-pamby kind of wishy-washy girl. Yeah, well, I feel like going back and re-watching Voyager episodes... You know, all of the all of the captains of the ships, like you look at Picard and, you know, you look at uh, Kirk, they they have the I'm in charge mode and they also have the I'm letting my hair down and I can be a little bit of a goof or I have my own, you know, sense of sense of style. And with Janeway, I feel like that takes a really long time to kind of break into it. Like you... Janeway spends so much time in the first couple seasons being very straightforward and very much like, no, I am the captain. You will take me seriously. <laughs> that I can imagine that throwing people off besides the whole, oh, that, that's a captain with breasts. And she came from science? What is this nonsense? The episode we're here to talk about uh, features one Borg and some Borg technology. Uh, it's called Lifeline, 
It is, uh, what is it? It's from the season six, mm-hmm. episode 24, for those the end keeping of it. count. Uh, and uh, one of the few episodes, perhaps one of the only episodes, that Robert Picardo, who plays the Doctor, uh, came up with the story, which makes it interesting because Robert Picardo plays two starring roles in this episode. Uh, and they only vamp it a little bit. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> maybe a little bit more than yeah. just a little bit. But Robert Picardo can hold hold his own against himself on screen, which I feel like is, is something that not a lot of actors can do well. That is Especially true. with limited CGI technology of the... Yeah. When was this created? This was uh, mid '90s, late '90s, late early 90s. 2000s. Yeah, early 2000s, uh, 2000. I guess is when it was uh, first broadcast. So it was probably created. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the green screen or whatever technology they used to split Robert Picardo and act against it shows its age as you're watching this later because it looks horrible. <laughs> uh, but although they do, they do some interesting tricks like. Uh, and when we first see the two of them together, one of them is always sort of slightly out of focus and one of them is in focus. So they have them on different planes at least, which is a problem that I know I run into a lot looking at uh, media where two people are trying to play – or one person's trying to play the same character off against each other. They try and like keep put them in different planes but keep the focus and omni-focus and it get it. It trips your eye out a little bit. So it's like there are there are rough patches here and the lighting's maybe not perfect, but more or less they sell the effect as long as you're not looking too closely. So I feel like another problem with Voyager is that they kind of lost popularity and then they used other characters in Star Trek as a kind of a crutch. And this episode kind of follows up on another episode that introduces the idea that there might be a chance for people from the Alpha Quadrant to communicate with Voyager. Um, and and uh, who might those people from the Alpha Quadrant be? <laughs> well, it opens up with, you think, oh, I must be, there's some space station, so I must be some wacky place in the Delta Quadrant, probably. Uh, but no, we're in Jupiter, and then it shoots to a, uh, a shot of Reginald Barkley in a shuttlecraft asking for permission to land in this Jupiter space station. Who, of course, and if you, Reginald Barkley is a character from the original, uh, from the next generation, I should say, who is kind of uh, lovable, uh, has some self esteem issues, uh, and is uh, obsessed with holo- the holodeck in the next generation. And in Voyager, he becomes obsessed with finding Voyager. Uh, and so he, he creates this project to find them, and people are like, oh, give it up, Reg. But then he finds them, uh, and uh, he. Uh, <laughs> is able to send messages to them that we find out later in this episode. There's a lot of backstory (laughs) to this episode. Yes, as I discovered as I was trying to remind myself exactly what the the big events in Voyager were. It's like, I know they get lost, and there's some Borg, and there's some more Borg, and then they take on a Borg, and... (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> and this is a weird episode in that there are very few Voyager characters in it. Yeah, it's not really about Voyager. Not at all. Which is interesting. Yes, which makes it, I think, probably better than it would have been. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so Reg Barkley's in, he's, he wants to visit this space station, so he, he lands and we find out he's there to visit Dr. Zimmerman, whose voice we hear kind of, and it sounds kind of familiar, but you don't really know who he is, and then Reg goes to his uh, office and sees the back of Dr. Zimmerman's head, and Dr. Zimmerman then turns around, revealing dramatically <gasps> that Dr. Zimmerman is Robert Picardo in, in like a gray wig of some kind, <laughs> or his hair was grayed. I don't know. It's hard to tell if he's wearing a wig or if they used makeup. I think it's a wig. 
I, I think, think it's it looks, a wig. It looks pretty wiggy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I gotta say, before he turned around, I was really, really hoping that this was a Back to the Future crossover, and that he was going to say, Great Scott! I'm dying! <laughs> that that would have been made this episode very interesting. <laughs> uh, but sadly, sadly, no. It's just Dr. Lewis Zimmerman, who, as you may know, or may not know, has crea- created the uh, emergency medical hologram uh, that runs on Voyager, and uh, who they call the Doctor. Excuse me, who they call the Doctor. Uh, but then we cut away from them, and we cut to Seven of Nine, a Borg, a former Borg, I suppose, who is in Astrometrics or someplace on Voyager, I don't know. And she gets a transmission from Starfleet, which is very exciting, because Voyager's been stranded for years and years and years. Is this the first time that they've gotten a transmission from Starfleet? I think they may have gotten a transmission before. Okay. Um, Yeah, they seemed excited, but not necessarily so excited like, oh my god, someone's contacted us for the first time in six years. I know there are a couple like little bits and pieces of of Reg trying to get everything together, but... Yeah, I think Reg may have spoken to them a couple of times previously, but they, the the celebration is rather muted. <laughs> it's true. Yes, they're kind of like, hey, whatever. So Seven of Nine gets this transmission. She tells Janeway, "Oh, look, you know, Starfleet's trying to contact us." And Janeway says, "Well, transfer it to the bridge." And apparently, for some reason, Seven of Nine can't do that, which seems weird. Um, <laughs> and then they don't. Oh, really... but it's special data packets. <laughs> it, it is, but then they don't really do anything with it. With that, you would think. That for some, like in the story, there'd be a reason why they couldn't transfer it to the bridge, but it was. I it was very vague, it very was weird. silly. And then it switches to another scene where we find out that Starfleet is using this Midas array to send uh, messages bouncing off some kind of pulsar or something, it doesn't really matter. Uh, <laughs> to Science. Voyager. Science mumbo jumbo. Yeah. Long Big story science. short, Starfleet can talk to Voyager once a month. Uh, and send a limited amount of information from the Alpha Quadrant to the Delta Quadrant, and the big excitement is that Voyager can send information from the Delta Quadrant to the Alpha Quadrant. Yay! And everybody's happy. Hooray! And there are some letters for folks. Uh, Well, I guess really there's only one letter. There's uh, tactical information, and the doctor gets a letter from... I'm sure all the other crew members got letters, but we don't want to hear about, like... Nobody cares about Bolana <laughs> and what's happening on the Klingon homeworld. Um, so, yeah, the Doctor gets a letter from Reg Barkley. Uh, we see Neelix for once in this episode, just one time. He's delivering a message, uh, which also doesn't really make much sense. There's a lot of weird, non-networked computers in Star Trek, uh, so people have to send... Uh, like walk pads back and forth <laughs> across uh, starships, which you can travel faster than light, but you can't send an email, apparently. It's very, very odd. But anyway, so Neelix uh, says, hey, here's a message, and if you want uh, to send a message back, you got to tell me soon, because uh, Janeway has to send them. Our window is closing. The doctor reads that Zimmerman is dying, and uh, Barkley has uh, thoughtfully included all of Zimmerman's medical files, which seems like uh, a breach of privacy. And Probably. Possibly. It would certainly be illegal now. In the future, maybe not. <laughs> well, let's see. Reg seems to flout the law fairly often throughout Voyager, so I wouldn't be, put it past him of, like, I'm just going to sub, you know, 
surreptitiously steal your medical files and send them 30,000 light years? What, what could possibly go wrong? What's, what's the worst that could happen? Well. And, <laughs> and he's doing it from a good place, right? Red yes. wants to help, he wants to help uh, his Zimmerman friend. not die. Mm. Uh, and so the doctor becomes obsessed with uh, fixing Zimmerman because the Zimmerman was basically his father, right? Uh, his father figure created him. He wants to help him. He comes up with some ideas because of their long trips in the Delta Quadrant, and he's been exposed to many different things that apparently Oops. all the doctors in Starfleet have never been exposed to. It Borgs. Seems, mm. Yeah, Borg. It Borgs. seems... Mm. I'm just going to chalk everything up to Borgs. <laughs> Borg. The Borg uh, fix it all. Yeah. Uh, but, of course, uh, my problem is that Starfleet in the Alpha Quadrant... So this is the, the conceit of the episode, right, is that the holographic doctor is the only doctor that can save his creator. And that's kind of a nice thing, but it doesn't really make much sense because you would think that the doctors in the Alpha Quadrant would also have had many experiences with Borg technology since the Borg attack everybody all the time. Uh, but if, it's probably best not to think about it too much. <laughs> yeah, I'm assuming that it had to do well. Again, I like to pretend that things make sense because otherwise I just get pulled out of the episode. So my <laughs> assumption was always that it had to do with something regarding Seven of Nine and her technology. And given that most Federation scientists were not actively experimenting on Borg or removing implants, they probably wouldn't have that technology. I guess that's fair enough. The doctor comes up with a, he thinks he can fix Zimmerman. And so he goes to Janeway and says, oh, I have this idea. And uh, I think I can help my creator. And Janeway's like, that's great. Send it along to the uh, <laughs> Alpha Quadrant. Uh, he's like, well, about that. <laughs> I'd like to send myself along to the Alpha Quadrant because I'm the only person that can administer this uh, cure that I'm coming up with. Which, And then, of course, Janeway's like, well, then you'll leave us without a doctor. And uh, he's like, well, Tom Paris could take over sickbay. And I was thinking the entire time that he is a holographic program. Yet, that, does copy and paste not right. exist in this world? Why don't they just put them in that? And then I was thinking about the uh, ramifications of that because yeah. he is, one assumes he is sentient now and he has grown beyond his programming, right? So he is a thinking being, much like Data. Uh, isn't just an, a robot, right? You can't just... He is, he has his own rights and, as a human. So mm -hmm. I guess... Or not a human, but a sentient being, right? So I guess one could argue that you shouldn't just copy another <laughs> sentient being and then send what him across the galaxy. What could go wrong? Well, I think it, it happens to him at some point during Voyager where he gets copied and left on a planet. Yes, um, I think that does happen. I, I think that's earlier. So... There's precedence, but also I think the writers didn't want to have to deal with the idea of, yes, let's have a doctor running around on Voyager and have him with all of his knowledge just hanging out on Jupiter Station, you know. Getting up to trouble. And then and then he comes back and then they have to do another episode where they're like face off, face off and right. their, three, their CG budget complains and, and cries <laughs> and they decide, you know what? We're just going to send him directly. How many Forget doctors this copying nonsense. <laughs> Answer, never enough. Never enough, it's true. But sadly, we find out that the doctor's program is very large, 
so they have to get rid of some stuff <laughs> in order to send him off into the Alpha Quadrant. The uh, point in this episode where he suddenly stops singing is very <laughs> delightful. <laughs> that is probably one of my favorite parts of the show uh, because <laughs> Seven of Nine disables his uh, singing subroutines, I guess. Uh, and, uh, in mid area, it seems, and so that he's quite confused. And she looks confused. so smug she's while, while she's doing it. <laughs> about what she's done. <laughs> Uh, and I think it's whole, the whole idea of kind of removing parts of him to send him off uh, was interesting because then he makes uh, this point that, well, I don't want to just be a stock mar- Mark One. I. I want to bring the things that make me what I am to the Alpha Quadrant so I can impress my creator, basically, and show him. He just wants I love grow. from daddy. That's it. He has daddy issues is really what this boils down to. Uh, and Seven of Nine is like, well, you have a lot of extraneous stuff that you probably won't need, so let's delete uh, apparently, all they need to delete is uh, his ability to play chess and his athletic subroutines. <laughs> and I mean, he's good to go. <laughs> if you've ever been to the gym, uh, those athletic subroutines probably take out a, a large amount of space. <laughs> uh, so, this is a good point to think about the Doctor as a character in Star Trek because he kind of fits uh, a well honored archetype, I think, that many Star Trek franchises have had. Uh, that being the kind of the non-human that wants to be human. So we've got, uh, you know, Data, obviously, Mm -hmm. Spock, the original, who not necessarily he wanted to be human, but he was part human, and so he was struggling struggling with his own inner nature, right? And so the Doctor, I feel like, is Voyager's version of that, uh, complemented by Seven of Nine, who then later becomes kind of Voyager's sexier version of that uh, (laughs) where she's trying to regain her humanity where uh, the doctor is trying to gain some humanity Um, Mm -hmm. and so it's an it makes for some interesting dynamics uh, in this episode and with uh, Voyager in general because you know people think of him as kind of a uh, an appliance uh, and in First Contact, in fact, he makes a cameo uh, as an appliance, right? And uh, Dr. Mm-hmm. Crusher activates him and tells him to stop the Borg from coming in, which <laughs> is a, a lovely scene. Uh, but he's an interesting character. Do you, Is he one of your favorite characters from Voyager? Do you have any favorite characters from Voyager? Yeah, well, I, I quite like him. You know, it's one of those things where Voyager to me is the most blurry, which is strange because I feel like I would have been the oldest watching Voyager versus watching Next Generation. Um, but I really only remember the characters as sort of vague shapes. And I I really I, – I've always had an affinity towards the, as you describe them, the you know non, non-human wanting to regain, capture some humanity. Uh, they're – they always have the most interesting moral issues, and in a show that's basically a series of morality tales, it's really interesting to see how they sort of take that path and rewrite it over varying, you know, varying characters. Because Data has a very different sort of path through the idea of humanity than the Doctor does, and the Doctor, from the start, always has struck me as he's all he's much more sarcastic and much more human from the get go. And he sort of build he builds upon that to become more well rounded as a in his humanity rather than have, starting with absolutely no humanity and slowly build onto it. This episode I thought was really charming in the way that it utilized both him and his creator, and it allows you they the the high compliment that I can give um, to Robert Picardo is that 
while watching this episode, at no point did I feel like I was watching the same actor trying to portray diff- two different roles. They felt like two distinct characters, even with the horrible wig and the you know everything else. <laughs> um, they they were bouncing off each other in ways that didn't just feel like he he was reading lines opposite one another in a green screen, you know? Uh, so the doctor transfers himself over to the Alpha Quadrant and to the Jupiter station where Zimmerman is dying. Uh, and Reg is very excited about this and he brings in uh, the doctor in a cylinder of some kind <laughs> into uh, Zimmerman and activates him and says, hey, look, I brought a Mark I, the Mark One from Voyager to help you, uh, to which uh, Zimmerman kind of is unhappy about and has a little bit of a fit because uh, apparently the Mark Ones are obsolete. Uh, and then we find out that the uh, Mark One of the emergency medical hologram has been deactivated across Starfleet. He's the only active, uh, well, the only one that's active in the medical profession as the others have been relegated to scrubbing plasma conduits in garbage scows, basically. Whatever that means. <laughs> Whatever. I, it, clearly, it is not good. <laughs> Was but, I the only one who got sort of almost human? It's funny looking at this and being like, I wonder how much of this almost human stole for its premise. <laughs> that is true. It is. I'm like, it's, you're basically the same exact, same, same exact thing. Exactly. A Malfunction, flawed, too much emotion, flawed. Yeah. And then we, we you know, make you delivery men or whatever they do to those other yeah, ones. Yeah, uh, something like that. Put them in like supermarkets. Uh, <laughs> very, very true. Uh, and also Zimmerman surrounds himself with uh, holograms. So he has a holographic iguana that talks named Leonard, uh, who I'm assuming is named after Leonard McCoy, but they don't say that out loud. Uh, <laughs> and he has a holographic fly named Roy, who does not speak. Uh, no, just he- gets accidentally <laughs> squished. Can or, or, a hologram get squished? It was, it was purposefully squished, I think. Yeah. Uh, but I guess they can be, uh, their photons can be scattered, one imagines. Yeah. And he also has a, a lovely research assistant who I think, the named Haley, who I think the episode, the writers wanted you to wonder if she was a hologram or not, but it's pretty clear she's a hologram from the start. Yeah, you're not entirely sure in the first scene. Like I, may, I was like, maybe it's his daughter. And then from the second scene, you're like, oh, no, no, she's a hologram. hologram. Yeah. And she is uh, much like Dr. McCoy on the original series. She is attempting to cure Dr. Zimmerman by prescribing him to eat copious amounts of salad <laughs> and not pork chops. Definitely not. Pork there are chops. lots of uh, lots of little homages to previous doctors in this episode, it's including true. I think Picardo gets a gets a wonderful like. I'm a doctor, not a blank. <laughs> yes, uh, what does he say? I'm a doctor, not a zookeeper. I believe. That's right. In response g- to Leonard, to the talking. iguana, <laughs> poor Leonard. Oh, poor Leonard. I uh, like Leonard. <laughs> Leonard uh, was uh, an odd thing. <laughs> it's kind of one of those, like, oh, that's an interesting glimpse into this weird character who uh, clearly has isolated himself and he surrounds himself with his own creations, which can give you gives you a a very big glimpse into the kind of person that this guy is. Right? Is he can't well, yeah, interact with other people, so he has to create the people that he is. Um, interacting with. And another glimpse into him is, of course, that the Mark I looks exactly like him. <laughs> yes, and no subsequent designs. It tells it tells me a lot that his creations are either created after him, created to be utilitarian, or created to look like iguanas and potential daughters, rather than like, you're the 
preeminent holographic designer of your age. You're not going to create any like especially given that it's Star Trek, any, you know, busty women to to bring you salad. <laughs> that is a good point. I think that most holographic engineers would create a busty lady to bring them salads. I just, you know, the technology, I, I don't trust <laughs> scientists, men, just kind of expect that it's going to happen. But no, like the the choice it's it's interesting that he surrounds himself with holograms and then on top of that the layer of what kind of holograms he surrounds himself with are very interesting. Then they cut to uh, – so there are – there's a lot of tension between the doctor and Zimmerman. Zimmerman doesn't want the doctor to scan him and doesn't want him to do anything because he's obsolete and he's, uh, you know, like a Stone Age witch doctor basically. Um, he's only like eight years old, although I guess <laughs> if I was like – I don't know. You take what, – what's eight years old at this point? One of the – the iPod's ten now. Oh, um, see. So one more of the, than that. So I guess one of the you know one of the first uh, one of the video iPods or something like that. Yeah. Would you want one of the first video iPods to operate on you? <laughs> you would not. <laughs> so that's how he uh, feels. Yeah. Or you take it like dentistry, using a laser drill versus using a an actual physical drill. It's like there there's certain things in the subject of medicine maybe that you don't want that to happen. But then they cut back to Voyager for a very strange interstitial kind of uh, talk between Janeway and Chakotay, where Janeway is going through the messages, and she finds one from an admiral, and he's like, hey, Captain Janeway, we've dispatched two long-range vessels to meet you. They'll meet you in, like, seven or eight years. Yay! Hooray! But, but I'm also <laughs> interested to hear how the Maquis are, integrate, are doing, and, I, you know, the assumption is that they're, you know still fighting each other and uh, they're still problematic and Janeway is very sad because she, she tells Chakotay, she says, I don't think of you as Maquis, I think of you as members of my uh, crew. My, yeah. Which is nice. And then he says, well, we haven't forgot that we're Maquis, which is <laughs> not so nice. Uh, and then they never go back to that. So <laughs> I've got to assume that's more of a season-long plot thread where they're like, oh, we're going to do this bottle episode that takes place almost entirely outside the bottle of the Voyager. Maybe we should insert <laughs> some mention yeah. of, you know, how this might fall. <laughs> Impact the rest of the series somehow. Exactly. So it's, yeah, like, it's kind of like that uh, thing. Yeah. It's oh. a weird little uh, button amidst this episode. But I suppose it, it has to happen. I guess. Uh, mm -hmm. I understand what they're trying to do, but it was just very strange. I've watched this episode a couple of times in preparation for this podcast. Oh, and uh, every time I see that scene, I think this just sticks out so oddly in this episode. Uh, the I pacing think they, is different. The pay, yeah, everything is different about it. It is it is weird. I think they would have been either they didn't have enough uh, material when they needed something, uh, or I think they would have been better served just cutting that part out and then you know doing a callback in the next episode or something like that. But yeah, well oh the way they the way they pace it in here, it's very odd because you get one or two scenes with the doctor, then you've got this little bit with them on the ship, then we go back to the doctor and. After that, I kept on expecting them to go back to Voyager because I was right. like, oh, you've set up this nice little, we're checking in with the ship, we're checking in with Jupiter, exactly. we're checking in with the ship, and then it all just, the rest of it takes place on Jupiter. Yeah. And you're like, but, but, oh, what okay. happened? Well, yeah, I, I was expecting <laughs> to have at least one more little Voyager snippet where they show, you know, Bolana or somebody talking yeah. about how, oh, 
well, I'm, I'm happy to be part of the crew or something, and we're all one happy family, and uh, it's going to be crazy having contact with other people or something like that. But Yeah, no, exactly. Nothing. It's the first time they've gotten regular communiques. That should be something special. Nope. No, and, and like you said at the beginning, people are very blasé about it. They're like, eh, whatever. Cool. <laughs> it's all I right. Think. And so the uh, we're back in Jupiter, and the uh, doctor says that Zimmerman doesn't need a doctor, but he needs a counselor. And, of course, that takes that means that Reg Barkley should make a call <laughs> to everyone's favorite counselor, Counselor Troy, uh, who serves on the Enterprise, the flagship of the Starfleet, who one imagines is a very busy person and is involved in many important missions. As she points out, all of the Enterprise's missions are important. Um, but Reg is like, you really have to come to Jupiter and help this guy out because he needs a counselor. <laughs> and apparently, <laughs> oh, Reg, I could never resist you and your chocolate ice cream. <laughs> I, I found it very odd uh, <laughs> that she comes seven light years just to talk to uh, Zimmerman because Reg Barkley asked her to. But I guess they're friends, so maybe I would travel a week to help one of my friends uh, with a. Well, I guess he's dying too, so that probably helps. Yeah, the, the dying part is important, and the OI oh, transferred a program 30,000 light years. <laughs> That's true. It's pretty impressive and makes yeah, it has, seem important. She has a little bit of skin in the, in the Pathfinder game too. Right? That's what it's called, right? Project Pathfinder? Yes, yeah. That's right. So she's there. Uh, who, Deanna Troy, uh, another female character uh, from Star Trek, obviously, from <laughs> the, the Next Generation, one of. Uh, a couple of female characters, right? There's Dr. Crusher, there's her, or Deanna Troy, uh, Tasha Yar, first season, uh, Ensign Rowe, uh, later on. I can't think of any other kind of regular female character. Oh, Guinan. Mm. Um, I think that's all I could think of. Um, Deanna Troy, probably one of my least favorite characters in Star <laughs> Trek, uh, just because I find her kind of annoying. <laughs> uh, I don't know how you feel about Deanna Troy. Um, I I rewatched a little bit of Next Generation a couple of years ago, and eh. <laughs> I think she. I'm indifferent her, on Deanna Troy. <laughs> it's not uh, the actress's fault, and I think it's mostly that the writers did not know what to do with her. Yes. <laughs> so she spends a lot of time kind of standing in a corner, sensing great fear and hostility, and not really doing <laughs> much. Uh, and, of course, there's the other the big Star Trek joke, right, that is that the one time Deanna Troy gets to fly the Enterprise, uh, which is in, uh, what is Generations, she crashes it, <laughs> uh, which doesn't, uh, you know... She's you know, an empath, not a pilot. It's true. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, she shows up because she is apparently the galaxy's best counselor. And, uh, and Reg, they couldn't afford Picard. And they couldn't afford Picard, that's right. He said, uh, I think I'll pass uh, on uh, a cameo appearance on Voyager. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, she was available, so she came. And uh, for being one of the best counselors in the world, uh, she does a pretty poor job. <laughs> At the first, like within five minutes, she calls them both jerks and has made the situation far worse. Uh, because she says, neither of you are flexible and neither of you are going to work together, so I'm out of here, basically. Um, and then they are upset. The Doctor and Zimmerman are upset. Everybody's upset. Uh, but then... <laughs> then Reg has an idea. Has a terrible, an idea. awful, very bad idea. This is, yes, I mean, and, and you get a sense that Troy was in on this idea as well, and it seems, once again, a violation of medical ethics. <laughs> but Just a little bit. Who, who, who am I to say... Uh, so 
So basically what they do is they, they put a, a, a defect in the doctor's uh, program, or matrix, as it's called, uh, but they don't tell the doctor that. So he thinks he's disintegrating because he's been traveled across 30,000 light years. Uh, and so they use it to kind of trick uh, Zimmerman into admitting that he, in fact, has feelings about the doctor. Uh, you know, he, he cares about the doctor is a better way of saying him. Uh, <laughs> by kind of putting it in a situation where he's like, well, he's just a hologram. He's just a, his files are decaying. It doesn't really matter. And then Haley, who is his stalwart companion, turns and says, Is that all you think of me? That's just a collection of files. And Ouch. Yeah, it's pretty one of those zingers. Uh, but I was very glad that he, Zimmerman, responds with, I will not be ambushed in my own lab, kind of calling out <laughs> the clear manipulation that's happening. Oh, yeah. Uh, of course, he still is manipulated into, <laughs> because I think you get the feeling that he does care about the Mark One, obviously, uh, but he's also the kind of person that if he's given a challenge, uh, especially a holographic challenge, he can't back away from it. So he's very interested in kind of fixing uh, the Doctor in more than one way, as we find yeah. out. <laughs> well, it was it was his first creation. And as you say, not only does he repair the damage, but he goes in and he, you know, starts turning uh, the Doctor back on and is like, all right, uh, get ready to have these all these new subroutines. <laughs> don't you don't you want to be better and be fixed and not be broken anymore? And the Doctor's kind of like. But I'm not broken. I like the way I am. I like even me. if that's curmudgeonly and angry and <laughs> very much like you, Dad. Yeah, I'm just like you, Dad. Uh, this I only is... want what's best for you, son. <laughs> that's right. There's a lot of uh, father-son kind of uh, symbolism going on here. And there fact, is. They, they call it out. It's not very symbolic. Um, <laughs> and this is where we find out that the Mark One. he's so angry. Zimmerman is so angry about this whole thing because the Mark One is... One of his greatest accomplishments, but also one of his greatest failures, because people didn't like them, and they would call them, like, uh, emergency medical hotheads and uh, <laughs> mediocre, very mediocre house calls, something like that, because the uh, the personality was not very warm and fuzzy. <laughs> and so he spends many, we find out he spent, like, two years trying to fix the Mark One, couldn't fix it, so he started from the ground up with the Mark II, and he didn't make it look like himself. Uh, I think in one episode, Andy Dick plays like Mark, the Mark III or the Mark IV. So mm. <laughs> it looks like Andy Dick, apparently. <laughs> uh, and so uh, uh, the the Doctor and Zimmerman have this heart-to-heart, heart-to-holographic heart. Uh, <laughs> and they basically are like, oh, I misunderstood you. And he's like, oh, I misunderstood you. We're, we're more alike than we thought. <laughs> Everybody gets together and has a hug. Well, exactly. Maybe not that well, there are no hugs, but it's almost, <laughs> almost hugging. <laughs> yes, and it's the it's the holographic version of hugging. I should right. say, deep empathic nods and uh, a, yes. a couple of scans with a tricorder. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. It's all the the scans with a tricorder. Really, that's how you know you've made up in Star Trek. <laughs> if someone scans you with a tricorder, exactly. It's uh, almost as good as a hug. That's right. In some ways, it's even better. <laughs> uh, so the doctor is fixed by Zimmerman, and hooray, crisis averted, and uh, he attempts, as Ren said, attempts to upgrade the doctor. The doctor's like, hey, I just want to make you proud, Dad. Uh, I like the way I am. And Zimmerman's like, oh, okay, well, I kind of understand. You've exceeded your programming. I am very proud of what you've done. Uh, good job. And I guess... You can try and save my life. <laughs> <laughs> so begrudging. All right, give it a try. Uh, so he does, 
And then the doctor comes out and to an anxious Reg and a Deanna and uh, Haley and says, hey, I think that he'll be fine. Zimmerman will be fine. And he found something interesting. He found that there was this, uh, basically, someone planted a bug in my program to make me malfunction. Gosh, uh, I wonder who that could be. <laughs> and this is, I like Reg's reaction is fantastic because he's kind of, he, he backs up and he's like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. And then you see his eyes shift and look at Deanna and you know, oh, <laughs> so they're in trouble. <laughs> uh, <Yep. laughs> and of course the doctor is outraged, but uh, he is happy because he's saved uh, Zimmerman's life, one assumes. His first treatment goes well and the prognosis seems fine. And we end the episode with uh, the doctor taking some holographic pictures with a giant holographic camera. <laughs> you know, it's really funny to watch sci-fi shows. And, you know, there are some things where you're like, oh, yeah, iPads. That makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. And then you look at things like laptops and cameras and you're like, <laughs> oh, they're so thick. They're so, I mean, the, the contraption, the holographic contraption that he's carrying around looks like it's an underwater housing for a camera from the 1990s, which... You know what? It possibly could have been. It, it might have been. It's true. Yeah. But it is. I, I found it very amusing how gigantic his holographic camera was. Um, and I guess it's a hologram. I don't understand how that works. Yeah, it, but he's a hologram. Wouldn't he just be able to snap pictures with his eyes? You would think so, which is kind of creepy. But yes. you would think that that's what he could do. But anyway, so he takes a. But the whole point of him having a holographic camera, which was. Uh, mentioned in the beginning of the episode when uh, Seven of Nine was trying to deactivate subroutines, and he said, no, keep my holographic photography active, because I might want to take some pictures, is at the end, he takes, he has Reg take a picture with With him, his holographic camera. With his holographic camera, <laughs> and the Doctor and Zimmerman, uh, father and son, basically, uh, arms around each other's uh, shoulders, um, kind of smiling. <laughs> yeah, you've got sort of a, a half grimace, half growl from Zimmerman, which is appropriate. Yeah, it's 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 in keeping with his character. Yes. I think. It's a very memorable photo. I it, can see him pasting it in his mind's eye. <laughs> That's right. And you can look at it, because his eyes are like Google Glass, right? So he can just yeah. look at it all the time. I gotta assume. I, one assumes. I don't know. I, I, well, maybe he's also taking pictures of the lab so that he can recreate it in the Voyager holodeck because he's mm. being emailed back to Voyager uh, right after the picture is taken. And that's the end. We don't know what's happening in Voyager. All we know is that one assumes Zimmerman has been saved and the Doctor... Uh, I haven't seen the next episode in Voyager, but I'm fairly certain the Doctor gets back to Voyager and he's okay. <laughs> I assume it's fine. Otherwise, the next episode is... Well, so we don't have a doctor anymore. We have uh, an opera subroutine, though. Maybe that could help us. That's good enough. <laughs> uh, so there you go. Uh, the Lifeline episode of Voyager. What did you think of it, Ren? You know, overall, I really liked it. Um, it maybe wasn't the most hard-hitting or the most, you know, morality-defining of Star Trek episodes, but it was delightful. Robert Picardo did really good work, and even though it's very odd to have a cameo from Deanna Troy, it's like, okay, well, that sort of connects what I what I remember of this universe. Um, there, there are little quibbles here and there, especially like that Voyager scene in the middle of the episode makes no sense. But I like the I like the theme, and it's nice for the Doctor to have a through line of his own that you know, isn't just, 
I'm the doctor and I'm cranky. <laughs> it's true. It gives some depth to the doctor's character, which is always welcome. And I like the message of the episode, which is, uh, I assume that you're more than the sum of your parts and that you can uh, become, uh, you can prevail over adversity. Uh, Just because you're outdated doesn't mean you're not worthwhile. Exactly. And that you can still uh, perform a useful function uh, even if other people doubt your usefulness and that you shouldn't you shouldn't judge you shouldn't gauge your own success by how others view you uh, I don't guess. judge a hologram by its star date <laughs> <laughs> exactly that is exactly it thank you for agreeing to be on this wacky podcast of mine you're welcome scott thank you for having me it was really fun to kind of go down memory lane and, and re-watch some voyager and go and back into the Delta Quadrant. Exactly. <laughs> or really, Jupiter. <laughs> Jupiter, it's true. But it's still... You spend a little bit of time in the Delta Quadrant. Just a, a scotch. A scotch? Yeah. A good visit. <laughs> yes, exactly. Thank a you. good and, warp. <laughs> and this is the part of the show where I uh, admit that I don't have a way to end yet. Um, <laughs> that, uh, and I refuse to use any Star Trek uh, slogans. So uh, thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>